worship your name, Jesus. We praise you. And Lord, this day we thank you that this is the day that you have made. We thank you that we can rejoice and be glad in it because this day is a day that you filled with yourself. And Lord, we pray that we would sense your very presence in our heart today, doing what only you can do. Because Lord, we know whom the sun sets free is free indeed. Lord, we ask you today that you would open the eyes of our heart, that we may behold you in your beauty, that we may understand and perceive and know all of the wonderful blessings that you have bestowed on our lives. That, Lord, we would live from that wonderful place of strength and position that you've given us in Christ Jesus. We pray, Lord, that we would leave the beggarly elements of our world and rise and reign into the newness of life that you've given us in Christ. This we ask in your name, for your glory, in Jesus' name. Amen. And everybody said, Amen. Come on, let's give Jesus another shout of praise. In this place, you can be seated. And let's thank our musicians too. They've blessed us this morning. Isn't music a wonderful thing? Absolutely wonderful. I'm always amazed at how you can come into the house of God in one state of emotion and leave completely different and how music, the moment that you hear it, anointed music directed to God, which God inhabits, completely transforms and changes our lives. It's a wonderful thing to come together collectively as God's people, isn't it? It really is because God blesses his people and he inhabits our praises. Well, for the next few weeks, I want to talk about transformation. We're going to look from God's Word to see how God transforms people's lives and how He transforms our lives. The opening scripture that I want to read to you from this morning is found in Romans chapter 12. You'll know it well. We're going to pick up there from verse 2. Paul is talking to the church. Paul is imploring and encouraging the church to leave an inferior form of life and to come into a superior form of life. God's got great things for your life and my life. Many times we hang around in inferior places and inferior forms of life that God wants us to leave to come into a superior form of life that Jesus called abundant life. And here Paul is talking about that superior form of life, the transformed life. It's there. It's a reality. It's something that God wants us to step into. Somebody else can't step into this life for you. You have to make the decision and you have to make the choice and you have to take the steps toward it in order to enjoy it, in order to thrive in it, in order to live in it. Paul says this, Romans chapter 12, verse 2. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing 
of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. He says, don't be conformed to this world. The word conformed means to be fashioned. It means to be set in a mold. This world has a habit of pressurizing you and I to conform, to fit into its mold. Paul is saying, listen, smash the mold. Break the mold. Don't give in to the pressure that's around you. Don't give in to the many voices that are trying to set you on its course, to fashion you, to mold you, to make you. Don't give in, church. Don't be conformed to this world. Don't give in to its pressure. Don't come under its dominant power again. Be transformed transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then he goes on to say, when you're transformed, you begin to understand what is the good, the acceptable, and perfect will of God. He's talking about moving from an inferior life to a superior life. He's talking about leaving a place of weakness to rise into a new place of strength in God. Leaving your own strength to move into God's strength. Over the next weeks, we're going to look at this wonderful truth that's been provided for us. Our lives in Christ are being transformed. And this transformation doesn't happen on the outside of us. This transformation happens deep within us, within the very core of our mind. That's where this transformation begins. Do you know, lots of times we focus on all of the externals, don't we? We, we set about putting all of the external things around us in place when God is saying, listen, the answer isn't outside of you, it's within you. On another occasion, Paul, talking to the Philippians church, says, it's God who works within you, both to will and to do his good pleasure. This transformation is a recognition of God working within you and going with it and saying, do you know what? God's working within me both to will and to do his good pleasure. I'm going to give my mind to it. I'm going to give my life to it. I'm going to put my very will into it in order to see it succeed and happen. Now to help us in seeing how God transforms our lives, we're going to look at a man over the next few weeks that was molded and shaped by his world. He was molded and shaped and guided by a fallen nature, by a power within himself that he had no ability to overcome. His name is Jacob. And you probably have read about him. He's the Arthur Daly of the Bible. I mean, I tell you now, he could even rip Arthur Daly off and embarrass him. Jacob was a trickster. Jacob was a deceiver. Jacob was a liar. Jacob was a thief. 
Everything that was disorderly was wrapped up in this personality, in this man called Jacob. And he had no power within himself to overcome his tendencies and the nature that was causing him to do what he continually did. We're going to look at Jacob. We're going to see his journey. We're going to see how he was on a head-to-head collision course with God who would finally transform him and change him and bring him into a wonderful new place of life, moving him from inferior things into superior things. It's wonderful. In Genesis chapter 32, we see that Jacob is at a crisis point in his life, a real crisis point in his life. Up until this time, previously to this chapter, Jacob had worked so hard, so hard he'd used all of his strength, all of his cunning, all of his nature, all of his deceptive ways to acquire so much. He'd amassed a huge amount of wealth and To the onlooker, it would seem that Jacob was successful. To the onlooker, looking at the externals, it would seem as if Jacob had everything. He had riches. He had more wives than he knew what to do with. He had four wives, ten children. Everything seemed in its place externally, but internally, Jacob was fearful Internally, Jacob was breaking apart. Internally, everything was collapsing. And here, in Genesis chapter 32, Jacob comes to a crisis point in his life. He was at a moment in his life where he was about to lose everything that he had worked for. He was desperate. He was in a very dark place. There was no place to go and there was no person to turn to. So we find something wonderful occurring in Jacob's life in this chapter. The Bible says that he separated himself from everything he had and he stood alone. Alone. Behind this moment in Genesis chapter 32... There's at least 50 years of history, painful history. Jacob had succeeded on the back of other people. Jacob had succeeded by hurting people, by deceiving people, by stealing from people. There was 50 years behind him of pain, hurt, and destruction. And in this moment, on this night that Genesis chapter 32 records. Not only is there a history of devastation, there's pending destruction before him as his brother, who he hadn't seen for 20 years, is on his way to meet him. Last time he'd heard of Esau was back in his father's house when Esau had issued a threat, I'm going to kill Jacob because he's stolen my inheritance. And on this night, Jacob now is full of fear because his brother is coming to meet him with 400 soldiers. 
There's a huge climactic crisis occurring in this moment in chapter 32. And Jacob doesn't know what to do. Do you know the Bible says, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and yet forfeits his right to become a child of God? Let me tell you, your future and and the security of your future isn't based in what you can acquire in life. Your future and your security is based on a reliance and a dependence on God, a relationship, a living relationship with Him. And Jacob was about to find that out. Let me read to you from Genesis 32. We're going to look from verse 22 to verses 28. And he, Jacob, arose that night and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 sons and crossed over the ford of Jabbok. He took them and sent them over the brook and sent over what he had. Then Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. Now when he saw that he did not prevail against him, He touched the socket of his hip, and the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, let me go, for the day breaks. But he, Jacob, said, I will not let you go unless you bless me, unless you transform me, unless you change me unless you take me from this inferior place into a superior place of life, we could say. So he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. Amen. This was a night where Jacob's past and Jacob's future had all come to a pinpoint. And tremendous pressure had caused Jacob to separate himself from what he had to be alone in a moment with God. Now, there's four things that I've seen from this event in this man's life that I believe to be common to all of our lives if we're going to see the transformation that we sing about, the transformation that the Bible promises, and the transformation that we so long and desire to enter into. Four things. The first thing is, Jacob's transformation was determined by what he was willing to separate himself from in order to go forward with God. Jacob's transformation was completely dependent on what he was willing to separate himself from in order to go forward in his future with God. The Bible says... 
that Jacob was alone. He sent his wives and his servants and everything he had across the four Jabbok. And he remained alone. He remained separate from everything he had. He separated himself. And now this man was ready. Now this man unknowingly was about to encounter God in his fullness and receive the transformation that he so longed for. Jacob was about to be transformed because he separated himself and was alone. Jesus, on one occasion, talked about prayer. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 6, you can read it. And he said this, he said, Don't be like the hypocrites who parade themselves in public and pray. They have their reward openly before men. But if you want to pray, if you want to encounter God, if you want a transformational experience, go to the most obscure place, the most common place. It's a household closet. Open the door, go in there, and shut the door. Basically, he was saying... God wants to meet you all on your own. God wants time. God wants to meet you. And he wants you to shut the door. He doesn't say, take a friend in there. Take your, you know, your your acquisitions of life in there. He wants you to strip everything back and go in there alone. And then Jesus promised in this very common place, this mundane place, this cupboard that he's asking us to go into, he says, your father who is in secret, who sees in secret, will actually reward you openly. In fact, before you go in there, he even knows what you're going to ask for. It's a dimension of life that very often we don't access. It's wonderful. He says, shut the door. Shut the world out. And come into my kingdom. Come into my presence. Come into everything that I provided for you. Shut the door. Get time alone. Jacob was at this place. He separated himself from what he had. Jacob was known as a man who used his strength. Jacob was, a no, was known as a shrewd man. Jacob was, a known, was known for everything that he'd amassed and everything that he'd acquired, but God wasn't interested in any of it. He wanted Jacob. He didn't want what Jacob had. He wanted Jacob. Listen, Jacob didn't lose any of the things that he'd sent over the other side. He'd have them back. But Jacob needed time with God completely away from everything that he'd amassed in order for this transformation to begin. You know, when um, in the olden days when goldsmiths had to refine gold, they take the gold that they wanted to refine and they would place it in a furnace. And then they would heat the furnace up. 
They'd bring the gold out and it would be molten metal before them. And as the gold was molten before them, they would skim off the top of the surface all of the impurities that had risen to the top. And then they would put the gold back into the furnace and heat the furnace up even more. That heat would cause an internal pressure within the, within the, molten, within the molten metal that would drive the impurities within the gold to the surface again. The smith would bring the molten metal out and again he would skim off the impurities that were on the surface. And he'd do that seven, eight, nine times until the final time he would bring it out and he would know when that gold was pure, when he could see a mirror image of his face in the molten metal before him. Do you know it's like that with God? It's like that with life? It's like that with the process that we're going through? Very often, life can be like a furnace. And the heat's getting turned up all the time. And, and all of this stuff can be coming out of our heart. All of this... All of these things can be coming to our minds. And we can be deciding to go this way and that way. What's happening? Well, when the heat gets turned up, the impurities are being surfaced. And this was a furnace experience for Jacob. The heat was on. The pressure was up. But the master was going to purify this man in a way that he was going to be completely transformed. God was going to get rid of all of the dross, all of the alloying elements within his character so that he could see a mirror image of his face in him. By the end of the night, Jacob was alone with God. Maybe today you find yourself in a place there's no person to go to. Life has cornered you. Life has pressured you. Your, 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 your past reminds you of all of the mistakes and all of the decisions that you've made. And you might have accumulated much, but that doesn't even satisfy you anymore. And even in your future, like Jacob, you're full of fear to face it. Let me say to you, maybe God has created the pressure of your past and the pressure of your, 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 your future to bring you into the crucible of transformation where you're going to rise into newness of life, where you're no longer going to be conformed by an old nature that you have no power to control, but you're going to rise into a new life as you renew your mind in Him as He speaks to you. Jacob was alone with God. Secondly, transformation came to Jacob when his strength was turned into weakness. He wrestled with the angel. And the, 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 the picture is a simple one. This aggressive wrestle that he had with God points to the fact that Jacob was actually trying to hold on to an inferior life. It points to the fact that Jacob was trying to hold on to the nature that had, that had achieved so much in a wrong way. Jacob was trying to hold on. 
Instead of letting go, Jacob was holding on and he was wrestling and he was fighting and he was grappling with God. Can a man do that? Can a woman do that? Yes. Of course they can. The Holy Spirit gently comes to us and lovingly comes to us and shows us the way in which we should go. And we turn around and we spurn his voice and we ignore it. I know about that because I've done it lots of times. But God is gracious, God is loving. And God knows that very often our strength and our power can become very destructive and very hurtful and very damaging not only to our lives but to the lives of many others. And only when our strength is reduced to weakness can God truly begin to transform and change our lives. Transformation came to Jacob when his strength became weakness. The Bible says that as they wrestled through the night, the angel touched his hip. To the, the Jews, the hip socket was the strongest part in a man's body. It symbolized power. It symbolized strength. And God went for the source. God hit the power of this man's body. God hit the strength of this man's body, which symbolized everything about his life. And suddenly, his strength was turned to weakness. Suddenly, in the moment that God touched him, everything collapsed, everything crumbled. I'm telling you now, the power of God is a wonderful thing because it can transform the very thing that we rely on, the very thing that we think is important, the very thing that we use as our identity and as our status. God can touch it and strike it and make it weak. And forevermore, it can be a point where you limp along in life. He touched his hip. He'd never walk the same again. When you've met God, life changes forever. It's a beautiful picture of a man never walking the same way after meeting God. He'd walked in one way, but after this encounter, he was going to walk another way. And I'm telling you now, we don't need more information. We don't need more education. We need an encounter with the living God. That's what we need. And that's what he promises. And sometimes it comes in the most obscure times. Sometimes it comes in times where we would least expect it to happen. Sometimes the greatest moments in our lives, when they're occurring, don't seem like great moments. The Bible says that we go from glory to glory, from faith to faith, but very often going from glory to glory doesn't seem like a glorious experience. Telling you now, if you think you can sum up the Christian life and the Christ life in a couple of lines on a page, you are mistaken. 
The Christian life is a majestic life, a glorious life, but it is full of mystery. Paul in 1 Corinthians 13 says, we know, but in part, we have a little fragment of this whole picture. It's a glorious, transforming life that we've been given, but we only have a part. And then he says, but one day we will know as we are known. One day we won't just have a little part. One day in Christ we will see the full picture of who we are in Him as a result of Christ Jesus. But at the moment we only have a little piece. And we look and we read about Jacob's life on this night and we see in hindsight, the full picture of what was happening. But he, at this moment in time, had a little part, a little piece of the picture, of the puzzle, of the pilgrimage that he was on. God struck his hip. He took his strength away. And from this moment in time, you can read it. After this night, he would no longer deceive anybody. His strength was in deception. His strength was in that he was a good cheat, a good liar, a good performer. He could lead you on and manipulate you in a way that, that you couldn't even dream of. He'd rip you off, rip you up, and he'd be gone before you even knew it. But from this night on, as a result of God touching that strong place of his life, he would never walk the same. He would never deceive anybody. He would never lie or cheat. God touched his, his strength. What's your strong point? And I'm not talking about what's your advantage. I'm talking about what's your disadvantage. What's the strength that you're taking hold of that you're using that's outside of what God's provided for you? Is it your tongue? Is it a raging anger that burns to the point that you always get your way? Is it your intellect that you can talk people into a corner and out of the ring? What is your strength that God needs to strike and make weak? Just to encourage you, we're all on a collision course with God. It's called, we talked about sanctification last week. This week, we could call it sanctification. Justification last week, sanctification this week. Sanctification, the essence of it is when God begins to move in areas of your life that are untouched by Him, and He steps on it, and He says, this is sanctified now for my use. You're not going to use this strength in this way anymore. You're not going to use your life in this direction anymore. I stand on this ground. I strike your strength and I make it weak. I'm living here from now on. Transformation. Paul knew about it when he said it's no longer I. <laughs> that's a man that's completely collapsed, friends. That's a man that's completely fallen in the dust. 
that's no longer living. It's no longer I that live, but Christ that lives in me. That's a man that's confessing. My strength has been struck and made weak. I'm no longer who I used to be. I'm no longer who I know myself to be. Now every day is a revelation of a new power living inside me. His name is Jesus Christ, my Lord and my Savior. I tell you now, we're in way over our head. I'm telling you, if we just think that, you know, Christianity is just turning up on a Sunday morning at 10.30 and then going home at 12 and having dinner and having lunch after and singing a couple of songs, we've got another thing coming. <laughs> oh my God, we've got another thing coming. I'm telling you now, you've been bought with a price. Your life's not your own. You've not been purchased with corruptible things such as silver and gold, but the precious blood of Jesus. Let me tell you, if Jesus would give his blood for you and me, don't you think that by the power of his Holy Spirit that he's going to come right into the core of our being and transform us and change us and take us to the place where Jesus wants us to be in him? And it's a wonderful prospect. It's a wonderful blessing. But very often, when change comes, initially, we become fearful of change. Fearful. We become suspicious. Even change that's going to bless us, even change that's going to take us to another place, even change that's going to transform us and remove us from inferior things into superior things, even change that's going to reveal all of the wonders and the glories of a new life that's inside us. We become fearful of change. Why? Because we're creatures of habit. And then once we move beyond the fear, we begin to fight it. After fear, we fight, we resist. And then when we realize that God's in the ring changing us, God's in the ring that's, that's going to bring this transformation, we realize that we can fight no longer and we surrender in weakness. But the wonderful thing beyond weakness is dependence and beyond dependence is acceptance and it's all in the story. It's all in the story. I'm telling you now, Jacob's life went to another level in God as a result of this encounter. Jacob was at the worst point of his life, the darkest point of his life. He couldn't interpret it as the greatest point of his life, but in hindsight, when he would look back, he would see that he would soar like an eagle. He would run and not grow weary. He would walk and not grow faint because God would be on his side. Jacob's transformation was determined by his willingness to separate himself from what he had to be alone with God. Jacob's transformation came as a result of his strength being turned to weakness. Jacob's transformation was also in the fact that God had called him, was also in the fact in what God had called him to be. Jacob's transformation came as a result of what God had called him to be. Not in the memory of who everybody else had called Jacob to be. This was a night where Jacob would actually come 
face to face with God. And God would declare a word over Jacob's life that would define him for the rest of his life. He was alone. He'd wrestled. God had dealt with his strength. And now, God. Says to him. Jacob. I need to leave. Why would God say that? God hides himself in weakness. He's omnipotent. He's all powerful. He's almighty. And God is almost surrendering to Jacob. Why would he do that? Because he wants to arouse Jacob. He wants to arouse a passion within him to take hold of this life that's awaiting him. Day is breaking. I need to go. Let me go, Jacob. And it arouses a new fight in Jacob. It arouses a strength that wants to prevail now with God. And it does. And Jacob says, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And God says, that's what I want to hear. That is what I want to hear. And that's the voice and the passion and the anguish and the, 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 the zealous spirit that I'm requiring of you. I will not go unless you bless me. What does the angel say? What's your name? It's confession time. Confession time. The Bible says if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us and to wash us from all of the unrighteous stains and all of the deterioration and all of the destructive elements of that sin that's characterized us. That's the power of confession. What's your name, son? Don't you think God knew his name? God knew his name, but he wanted Jacob to voice not just his name, but in declaring what Jacob would declare before God, he was announcing to God who he was, who he'd become, and everything within his nature that his name represented. The name Jacob was given him from birth because he came out of the womb just after his brother Esau grasping at the heel of his brother. There was even a war and a tension within the womb of Rebekah as these boys were, were being born and as they were growing within her. There was a fight in this man's nature. And suddenly he says, I'm Jacob, God. I'm the deceiver, God. God, I'm the one that has the nature that I can't control, that I can't do anything about. In fact, these last 60 years have just been an outplay, a manifestation of what I am within. I'm Jacob. Suddenly, God turns around and says to him, you're no longer going to be called Jacob. Now, you're going to be a prince with God. The crisis turns into transformation. The hardest moment of his life, 
the darkest place became illuminated with the newness of a life that was given to him by God. Transformation came as a result of a new revelation now from God about who he was to be. God transformed his life and made him near. I'm going to ask the musicians to come. We're going to close in a minute. We're going to look at this over the weeks. This is just some background, some details today as to how the Holy Spirit is leading us, as to how the Holy Spirit is wanting to help us. Faye said this morning, words from the psalmist David, Psalm 23, he leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Jacob, you see, was at the end of his own road. And Jacob had finally come to the juncture in his own life where God met him on the road. There was a struggle and there was a wrestle over the direction of where he was going to go in his future. And God graciously, lovingly stepped in. And from this meeting, that man went on a righteous road. Yes, he had trouble. Yes, confusion and despair and heartache came into his own home. But he could never be moved from the position of prince with God. That's what Israel means, prince with God. Because he'd been led now in a path of righteousness for the namesake of God, who he had met. Maybe today you're in this place and there's elements of what we've said today that's relevant for your life. Maybe it's a time... Where your, where, your, where your past is catching up on you and your future's pressing you and you're in a present moment. And God is wanting you to get alone with Him, telling you, don't despair. The heat of the furnace is going to bring value to the gold of your faith. Don't despair as the refiner heats up the furnace and uses circumstances, its flames. Don't despair, church. When all of the impurities come to the surface and the refiner puts his hand over the gold of your life and skims off that impurity, he's going somewhere because by the end of it, it l- listen, be encouraged. It's going to get even worse. Things are going to get heated up. But all of that dross and all of that impurity is going to come up and it's going to be scraped off until there's going to be a mirror image. A mirror image of your maker in your life. We are the workmanship of God created in Christ Jesus. We really are partakers of the divine nature. Maybe today you go from this, you go from this place And you're going to have an alone moment with God. And He's going to bring you through. And you're going to embrace it. 
And all of the externals are not going to define you anymore. All of the externals are going to be separated from you for a time. You're going to meet God. Or maybe today, like Jacob, God is striking your strength. He's striking your strength. That habit that you can't give up that's so strong. Listen, you can try all you will. And sometimes you might be able to overcome it, but there'll be another 500 habits queuing up to meet you. No, God will strike the strength of that addiction. God will strike the strength of that habitual nature within you to make it weak so that you can live for Him. Maybe that's where you're at today. Be encouraged. Jacob was there. And he's striking it. And you can't walk the same as you've walked. You're walking with a limp in that area. The strength is gone. Don't be ashamed of your weakness. It's a sign that God has interacted with you and transformed you. Be encouraged today. Or maybe, like Jacob, you hear God calling you, renaming you, reshaping you, transforming you, and revealing a new name. You're not who people say you are. You're not the labels that life has put on you. You're not. You may have lived under those labels. You may have walked in those labels. And life may have been a manifestation of all of those labels that life has put on you. But there's a meeting point with God. And that's where the labels fall off. And there's a new identity and a new name that's attached to your life. Son of God, daughter of God, child of the King. Amen. Prince, Prince with God. We're going to close our eyes in these moments. Maybe today you're here. You've never asked Jesus into your life. You've never put simple trust and faith in what he's done for you. He's not asking you to make the changes. He'll do that. He's more than able to make a beautiful work of your life. And you may have tried to put your hand to your life and it's landed you in Failure after failure and hurt after hurt. And your life now is like an open sore. Because of what you've tried to do. Listen, we've all been there. And some of us are there. But God says, listen. I want to make a beautiful work of your life. I want you to put simple faith and trust in me. In what I've done. Believe that I've died for you. Believe that I've risen from the dead. Believe that I want to come into your heart. Open the door. Allow me to come in. To transform and change. I'm going to pray a prayer right now. And if you want to pray this prayer, just quietly say it in your heart. All I'm doing is helping you 
This prayer isn't a magical formula. I'm just simply directing your thoughts to your maker and your creator and your savior, Jesus. That's all I'm doing. Directing you to put your faith and your trust in him. Say this prayer today. Say, Jesus, I ask you to forgive me my sin, to come into my heart, make my life a beautiful work, a picture of your handiwork. Make my life everything that you've designed it to be. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to pray for people right now. And you are born again already. You've asked Christ to come into your heart. But you've identified something today from what the Holy Spirit has said. And it's triggered a thought in your heart. He's highlighted something. I'm going to pray. Holy Spirit, thank you for your word. It's living. It's active. It's like a sword. It's like a sword that pierces, that cuts away the things that bring us harm, that cause our life chaos. Lord, I pray that as your word has gone forth today, that it would not return to your void without accomplishing that for which you have sent it. Holy Spirit, I pray that as your people have placed their faith in hearing your word, that it would become alive within them, that all of the things that we've talked about would become a wonderful reality and blessing of life. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, why don't we stand to our feet and give God praise to his word? And we're going to sing and we're going to shout. Come on, let's honor Jesus. Let's give him praise for the work of his spirit in our hearts. We're going to sing, come on, church. Let's go from this place rejoicing today because God is good.